Hello, I'm Hugh Ronzani, and thank you for joining me for more Baroque Now. On this podcast, we explore the music, people, and period instruments you may be discovering for the first time with the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra and our digital stage, Brandenburg One. As always for Baroque Now, I'm joined by one of the brilliant musicians and artists bringing Baroque music to life with the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra. Today, I have the pleasure of sharing the microphone online with a beneficiary of the Brandenburg's Young Mentorship Program, violinist James Armstrong. James, it is wonderful to have you with me today. Thank you for coming on the program. Thanks for having me, Hugh. Now, even though you and I only met through Brandenburg, we actually have some incredible things in common. For starters, both of us were actually captain of music at St. Aloysius College in Milsons Point, Sydney. Now, what were some of your duties as music captain? Do you, uh, do you even remember? I mean, it's a few years ago now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Well, what a coincidence. It, it feels like such a long time ago now, um, even though it was only three years ago for me. But um, I remember that it involved uh, giving speeches at a couple of the music gala concerts and recital evenings. Um, but for me, I felt that being a leader meant to be a role model for the college community. And it was an honour for me to have that opportunity to encourage students to get involved in music in any way that they could. And um, it's, it's about being optimistic and passionate about music. Uh, did, you, did you find that that was maybe a similar experience for you? I was blessed, I think, to have a number of my peers who were heavily involved in music. In fact, we probably spent more time in rehearsals and concerts than actually in the classroom. And I was heavily involved in choirs myself and singing at the school. So it was a fantastic platform for all of that sort of music and uh, being involved in the school life, as it were, with uh, weddings and sometimes funerals too and and lots of ceremony and and a great place to be able to learn um, the craft of actually choral singing and sometimes conducting as well. Now, in terms of your involvement, though, uh, do you think that all of those experiences maybe influenced your decision to continue further music studies? Uh, yes, I think that it definitely did influence my decision to um, pursue a career as a musician. Uh, I, I was so lucky from the beginning to have had teachers and mentors who nurtured me and, and really taught me to love music. From quite early on, I had many incredible opportunities, such as leading the orchestra, I remember touring to the to the USA with the school, which was awesome as well. And these were uh, all experiences that inspired me. And I, I knew from the very beginning that I wanted to be a musician. I mean, that's that's very uh, lucky in a way because I certainly didn't know I wanted to be a musician at, <laughs> <laughs> at first. But um, yeah, I don't know. You sometimes walk through one door and then another door opens and you, you continue along that, that path. And now you're studying at the Sydney Conservatorium where I actually studied composition myself. So has the focus of your music uh, study and, and what you want to do as a musician changed slightly now that you're at university? Uh, I wouldn't say necessarily that the focus of my music studies has changed. Rather, I see my studies at the Sydney Conservatorium as a progression from what I had been learning previously. Um, perhaps that it's because I had also been studying with my wonderful teacher, Janet Davies, since before I entered the conservatorium as a, as a tertiary student. So in that sense, I had a, some sense of familiarity when I was going into the con. And when did you actually start learning with Janet? 
Uh, I was in year 11. So uh, I was 16, 17 at the time. So, um, yeah, by the time I got to the con two years later, um, we knew each other quite well. And was it through Janet that you actually met Paul Dyer? How did you come to, to meet Paul? It's a, it's a really funny story, actually. So um, there, there are a few ways that we were connected. And, um, but, well, firstly, as you'd know, Hugh, he, um, Paul went to Allo's. <laughs> um, so there was that connection. And I remember vividly when I was in year seven, um, Paul came to the school form in our gala concert. And um, we, we had like a small string group and we're performing Vivaldi's Concerto for Two Trumpets. And the soloists were Dave Elton, um, who was also an old boy, and James Constantini, who was one of the directors of music at the time. And so that was the first time that I had met Paul. But it also turned out that Paul grew up around the block from where I grew up, <laughs> which is also a funny coincidence. And um, my family is quite good friends with his, like we're, we're good family friends with his sister and his sister Marianne. And I went to primary school with his niece. So, um, yeah, it's a very small world. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's incredible. And, um, and obviously, you know, having those connections, I think, uh, probably did make it easier in terms of your introduction to the Brandenburg, but also the, the general music world at, at, at large. But do you feel that it, it also made it more natural that you would want to pursue a, a career in, in music? I mean, having these sorts of people around you in, in family, friends and, and, and the like? Definitely. I, I was so lucky in that sense to have known people um, in the field and to actually grow up being surrounded by music. Um, it was a really healthy environment, I think, um, for developing my love for music. So, um, yeah, I, I absolutely think yes. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> now, I know that you were a beneficiary, as I said in the introduction, of the Brandenburg's Young Mentorship Program. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about that program. What did that involve? For sure. So the, the Young Mentorship Program involved having lessons with musicians from the orchestra and also performing in the orchestra and attending concerts and rehearsals. Um, so I was so fortunate to have had lessons with Matthew Greco, uh, Sean Lee Chen, uh, ben Dolman and also Matt Bruce more recently. Uh, I, I've learned lots from the mentorship and expertise in uh, different settings, whether it be solo playing, chamber music or orchestra playing. And um, it's really inspired me. The program really inspired me to engage in more Baroque playing. It's, it's been a quite a different approach, I think, to what I had learned playing violin before that and even before that I used to play the flute and I remember one of the first pieces I did with um, a new teacher I had when I went to when I moved to Allo's in, in primary school um, it was um, a slow movement from one of Vivaldi's uh, sonatas and so I had these ideas about what the Baroque was and I remember it being really really beautiful it was in G minor so really what's the word I, I played it and I thought, this is really beautiful. This is really interesting. I'd love to delve into it a little bit more. But early music was a bit of a mystery, I guess, or historically informed performance was. Um, and I, I was 11 at the time. I mean, 
uh, I, I didn't know anything. Um, so, <laughs> well, um, I mean, you, you could know, play the flute at least. When I was eleven, there certainly wasn't any flute playing going on. The best I'd done was on the uh, on the recorder with um, you know a, a tens of other kids making terrible sounds that I'm sure my parents still regret to this day. Oh <laughs> uh, no, not at all. Well, look, if it, I, I can't sing, so <laughs> terrible voice, terrible. <laughs> and in terms of then the the program, so you've been having these lessons, and you remember obviously um, being curious about early music. So what changed then through these lessons? What what things have you have you learned? So it was, I guess, understanding. Um, the instruments of the time, first of all. So um, Baroque violin, of course, is quite different to modern violin. The setup's different and, you know, consequently, you have to make adjustments. So that took a while for me to get my head around, especially uh, I think the trickiest part was playing without a shoulder rest. I have quite a long neck. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, just trying to work out how to physically... Um, play the instrument in the most efficient way possible and to really find that really beautiful um, singing sound that the gut strings can can make mm. and all the colors that you can you can create with the, with the bow trying to find that I guess that that was the first step um, in in this program from what I learned with um, Matt Greco. So what, what were some of those fundamental differences between the two instruments? Is Because for a lot of listeners, when they when they come uh, to a concert, I mean, they, they may not recognize necessarily the difference visually from, from sitting in their seat. They may not be able to recognize the difference between the violin that you're talking about, um, Baroque violin, as opposed to the modern violin. So there was there's no shoulder rest on the Baroque uh, violin. What, what other differences are there? So the modern violin also has a chin rest. So that's where you just rest your chin on the instrument. The Baroque violin doesn't have that either. So um, often we play in a way that's called chin off on Baroque violin. So you actually have your chin above the um, above the instrument. And for all so of you listeners, James also... is actually gesturing to his chin. And, you know, this is a radio program. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I can see how visually, yes, it obviously makes a lot of sense. Yep. Chin up, chin down. I yep. speak a lot with my hand. No, no. Um, <laughs> You're a musician. <laughs> And, um, yeah, so also the strings on the Baroque violin, they are gut strings rather than steel strings. So they are thicker. Um, so the feel is actually quite a lot different. And it takes a, it takes some more um, thinking into the string with the weight of the arm, with the bow, that is, to um, produce a really beautiful full sound. Whereas on the modern violin, you hardly need to apply any pressure at all. Otherwise, you'll get that kind of grating sound. sound. Yes, so pleasant to hear. Yes. So, <laughs> I was having images of "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star," and and you know that. The <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, look, everyone has to start somewhere. That's that's for sure. And every journey is different. And uh, most people do go through "Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star," and it sounds like a cat's playing it. But um, but then but then it gets better. <laughs> well, maybe we should be starting the kids on like the beginners on gut strings. Yeah, and then they'll be making a lovely full sound from the very beginning. <laughs> Look, 
um, I don't know if you had a chance to to talk with him properly, but Jonas Chenderlein, who was just uh, with us, obviously for the Barks Universe program, he actually started quite young. He started as an 11-year-old, um, 11, 12-year-old on Brock violin. So a lot of the technique that he actually learned as a as a young player is fr- from obviously playing on Baroque violin. And you can you can tell the way that he approaches the instrument. It's so natural. You know, the sound he creates is is just easy. And yet, what he's doing is actually incredibly technically difficult. <laughs> mm, absolutely. He uh, yes, as you said. So natural to the Baroque violin in his hands. It was incredible to watch um, in that recording. So I think that's the way to go, actually, to be honest. I mean, it's it's it also gives a much broader scope on violin playing. Like, I found that in um, the lessons that I've had with um, the Brandenburg musicians, that I've actually learned even more about modern playing because you start to understand how the modern instrument developed as well and why it changed. Mm. So that was also really, really interesting. And it's still interesting. I'm discovering every something almost every time I pick up the instrument. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Mm. Well, that's I've, I'm very pleased to hear that because I think a lot of people are invested in that young mentorship program. And it's exactly for those reasons. You know, we want at the Brandenburg to give young musicians the chance to experience this music in that particular way because it does open up other opportunities and um, and a different way of thinking about the music that is now, you know, some of it being over 300 years old, um, quite far removed from where we are in the modern world but yet speaks to us emotionally every time we hear this music you know you're talking about as an 11 year old hearing this vivaldi and having an emotional reaction to that it's incredible what music can do even though it's 300 years old Mm. oh absolutely it's it's so wonderful and i think that's what brandenburg does so well is that there's this early music approach there's a historically informed approach to the music but it's bringing it to audiences to modern audiences and it's you know it's not old it's refreshing it's new Mm. it's um yeah it's really sensational and that's what baroque is yes it's wild it's great (laughs) well i'm glad to hear someone as young as you saying that that's brilliant (laughs) now it, it, it has been a couple of years since your first appearance which was a part of that program um, with Paul Dyer and the Brandenburg, your first chance um, on stage at the City Recital Hall with the Brandenburg, playing in the Thomas Tallis's England program in February and March 2018. Um, obviously, that uh, that particular concert series was a fabulous concert series. I remember seeing those concerts live myself. Um, perhaps you could tell us about um, about your role in, in, in that concert series and, and what you were a part of um, in, in the rehearsals and then also in the concerts. Um, for sure. It was it was a wonderful opportunity and, of course, a very special concert series for me as it was the first program that I performed with the Brandenburg Orchestra. Um, and, yeah, so I, I played a couple of... So I played both first and second violin depending on, on the piece. But... I remember the program quite well. There was some Purcell, there was uh, Handel. Um, the choir was singing some Thomas Tallis as well. And then at the end, we played Vaughan Williams. Um, yep, that's right. And on a theme by Thomas Tallis. So, um, which also happens to be one of the pieces that actually inspired me to play violin in the first place. Um, so that was quite surreal. 
Yeah, I think it was also a really great great way for me to understand how to play on Gutstream. Um, as we were also using a more modern setup um, for this series since we were playing the Vaughan Williams mm. at the end of the program. So actually, I was using my modern violin um, with gut strings yes. for that. And so um, that was really interesting for me as well because I'd been so used to the thinner steel strings on my instrument that having that more open and thicker sound was just perhaps confusing at first. Yes. But, <laughs> but you get used to it and, and you, you really begin to love it. One of the other pieces on that program, and it's a personal highlight of, of mine, was the cold song from Henry Purcell's semi-opera, King Arthur. Now, I imagine it was your first time performing also alongside a countertenor like Max Rebel, who was singing this particular, this particular aria. Yes, that's right. It's, it's such a dramatic work. Um, I really love this, this piece. It's really special. So um, I was playing the second violin part of this piece, and so... It was really cool. Um, I, I was positioned basically in the middle of the orchestra. Yep. And it was quite amazing to be surrounded by the orchestra at that moment because you can hear everyone's part. And for me, that was really exciting because um, there, there's so much tension and drive in this work. And so to be in the middle of that, and mind you, this was the first time I'd played with the orchestra. It was quite incredible it was, it was like something i hadn't really experienced before and also on gut strings like that 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 sound and trying and finding all those different colors that you can make using the bow and um how, how you um play on the gut strings it, it 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 was quite quite um quite sensational yes I guess. and i remember um, <laughs> paul had programmed this particular aria to be the last item in the first half of the program so uh, immediately after this song we actually had the the interval and um i was i was feeling very energized after this and and i'm going to play it um for for our listeners but it's just got that as you said that incredible tension and and drive and energy and um, such a simple idea, really, um, but yet executed with such passion and, and, um, and force. It's, you know, very powerful, isn't it? You're absolutely right. So perhaps, uh, James, you can start by uh, telling us, what are we going to hear the orchestra do here in the aria, What Power Art Thou Who From Below, also known as the Cold Song from Act 3 of Henry Purcell's King Arthur? Well, I think it's the, uh, it captures a really cold character and you can hear that because the whole orchestra is playing really short notes all together and it it stays like that the whole time we're, we're in unison um for the whole piece um and yeah very um very short and what we're actually doing on the instruments is we're we're playing on the bridge of the instrument, which creates a more shrill and cold um, industrial kind of sound. So mm. it, it really gives a bit of grit. And the tension is created in this music. Um, I, I love, I just love the opening. And I love the whole piece, but the opening, you really hear what the orchestra is doing because the harmony just changes where you don't expect it. Mm. It's really unexpected. and uh, I, when I listen to it, I just think, wow, that's just incredible. Um, what a genius Purcell was. But, and it still um, sounds so yeah, modern. So I, think, 
it does it does and it's just it's unexpected and yeah it's really exciting really exciting uh, it's a really exciting piece well let's have a, a listen then to uh, some of the cold song featuring countertenor max rebel paul dyer and the australian brandenburg orchestra recorded live by abc classic in march 2018 at sydney's city recital hall There's one of those chords you were talking about, James. That's right. <laughs> what was the rehearsal process of um, of this piece like ahead of the concert series? Um, it, it was quite different to orchestra rehearsals that I had had in the past um, for a few reasons. So I suppose well, the obvious point is that I'd never played in, in an orchestra that uses period instruments. Um, so for me, that was a totally different soundscape. Um, and learning how to blend in that sound, of course, um, was something I hadn't really experienced before. I guess that's just what's unique about Brandenburg. So, um, also, I was still in school at the time, so I, I had done a lot of playing in school orchestras and youth orchestras where programs are prepared over a longer period of time, whereas the Brandenburg rehearses a few times over a few days, and then we have opening night. So the rehearsal process was much quicker than I, I had experienced before. The, the, there was so much energy in the orchestra in the rehearsal process. Um, as, well, there has to be. There, there's not much time. You know, over over a few days, it's very, very focused. And um, um, you're working quite intensively on the music. So that was 
a really wonderful um, thing for me to experience whilst I was in school because, of course, you know, you get used to doing things over a long period of time. Mm. And so the intense focus on the music um, and, you know, working together as a group to achieve these colours that you hear in, in this piece, for example, I mean, it's so colourful. Um, that's what the rehearsal process is all about. It's, um, it's about the ensemble playing together. Mm, mm. And normally, I say normally because obviously with COVID nineteen, it hasn't necessarily been the same uh, the same case because of social distancing. But normally, string players do play alongside another player, and uh, we call that obviously playing at a desk. So we have two players playing at at one desk, as as it were. Do you remember who your partner was for for this particular piece? Yes, my my desk partner um, in the second violin section was David Rabinovici. And he's an Australian uh, Baroque violinist based in Paris. Uh, it was really great to play with him and to learn from how he played. This was right at the very beginning of um, my mentorship on Baroque violin. So playing in the orchestra and um, amongst other Baroque violinists, you learn a lot from just watching. Mm. Um, so, yeah, David was wonderful as well. And had you heard uh, much of Purcell's music before? Had you had a chance to play much of Purcell's music previously? Uh, I don't think I had played much of Purcell's music uh, before playing in this concert series, although I was familiar with a few works of his, which I had studied at school. Uh, one of them we actually performed in this program. It was the, the Rondo from Abdelazar. Mm. And I knew it from Britain's Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra. And he, he uses this this rondo theme and wrote variations on it to present the different sections of the orchestra and to showcase the, the tone colours and the capacity um, of the orchestra. So let's have a listen to the rondo from Abdelazar by Henry Purcell, performed as part of the Thomas Tallis's England program in 2018. Now, I'll leave that going on. It's such fantastic and joyous music, isn't it? It is, yes. <laughs> One of the things that um, strikes me, and, and it certainly did the first time I went to a Brandenburg concert, about the way that they play the music is also the instrumentation. Having, um, as you can hear him there, Tommy Anderson um, on continue, as well as Paul on the harpsichord, it's such a different sound to what you ten tend to obviously hear in um, in classical recordings going through school and, and, and playing in high school orchestras. That's right. It's it's very different. It adds, um, especially having Tommy on the orbo and um, the wonderful... Um, continuo section that we have uh, at Brandenburg, it, it it really adds another dimension to the sound, and yeah, it's just amazing. There there's so, there are so many textures that you can hear from the from the bass end of the orchestra, and yeah, it's wonderful. It really makes for a really colourful um, performance. 
And another piece in that program where I think um, the whole orchestra does get highlighted and that difference of sound that we've been talking about between gut strings, say, and steel strings on, on, on your violins, for example, is the Concerto Grosso in B-flat major by, uh, by Handel. Now, as part of this program, Thomas Tallis's England, it was just the opening two movements of Opus 6, Number 7 that were being performed, the Largo followed by the Allegro. Um, but this, I mean, this is just such a dramatic uh, opening to a concerto grosso. Perhaps you could tell us about um, your experience playing this piece, obviously, and, and being led by both concertmaster Sean Lee Chen, but also principal second violin, Ben Dolman, because they have quite an important role to play in, in, in this concerto grosso. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. This, this concerto grosso is a gem. Um, there, there's so much material that Handel writes in just these two movements which, as you said, were the two that we performed. Um, the first movement is, is really lush, and it, it really like opens the curtain um, to the playful second movement, which is a fugue, which is um, considerable, considerably more busy than the Largo. And the, the exciting part is that the second violin starts the fugue, so they start with the fugal subject on their own, and then the texture thickens as more parts enter. Um, so it was really exciting to be a part of the section which played the joyful bugle subject first and um, then leaving it to Handel's genius writing to um, uh, interplay with the with the other parts of the orchestra. So um, And, of course, we were led by, by the wonderful Ben Dolman. Um, yeah, it was just wonderful. It's incredible music. And now, before I, I put this one on, uh, do you remember anything specifically while you were in the concert hall and, and rather than in rehearsal, being amidst that sound and, and watching from the, the back of the violin, uh, second violin section and almost in the middle of the stage, as you were talking about? Uh, do you remember um, watching uh, Sean and Ben and the interplay between those two uh, specifically? Uh, yes, well, definitely. So I think, well, it's, it's hard to think back to just, you know, individual performances, but um, yeah, you're always watching um, towards the front that they give the direction and you're, you're looking out for how their, their bow strokes, how, how they're um, making contact with, with the string. Um, and I, I like to think about um, color when I'm playing. So, and also mood. Mm. Um, so, you know, you have a really uniform character throughout the whole orchestra. That's also part of the rehearsal process, um, discussing um, the mood or perhaps colours, uh, or tone colours, I should say. But that can also change in a performance setting. So that's why it's important to be always looking up and, um, um, and that direction is conveyed by Paul or Sean or... Ben, Monique, Jamie, whoever's leading, mm. um, they're the person to look out for to, to follow that direction. So this is the opening Largo and Allegro from Concerto Grosso Opus 6, Number 7 in B-flat major by George Frederick Handel with Paul Dyer and the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra recorded again live by ABC Classic in March 2018 at Sydney's City Recital Hall.
while that uh, fugue continues underneath us, uh, James, I mean, it is such beautiful music and I'm, I'm sad to bring it down because I would just listen to this all day. But, um, but for me, in the opening Largo, and you reminded me of it, uh, Rob Nan and Libby Browning, there were two double bass players in the orchestra and it just creates such a lush sound as well. It's, it's again, so different to the, um, to the Purcell we were listening to before. That's right. Yes, it's um, amazing. The more the more bases, the merrier. I think. <laughs> now, this concert was also performed at the Melbourne Recital Centre. Uh, what was it like playing there? Was it your first time performing in that magnificent concert hall too? Uh, I I love the Melbourne Recital Centre. It's it's such a beautiful concert hall, and it it has quite a different feel to the City Recital Hall in Sydney. But I love them both for different reasons. MRC has a particularly intimate ambiance, I find. And look, I also love Melbourne. I get so excited every time I go down to Melbourne. Um, every time we go down there to perform. Um, but yeah, so I guess that helps in, in loving the MRC. But it's such a beautiful hall. Architecturally and acoustically, it's just fabulous. Um, but um, yeah, this series was actually the second time that I had played in the Melbourne Recital Centre. The first time that I played there was with the Australian Youth Orchestra, quite literally a couple of weeks before this um, program. Tom wow. Of England. Um, <laughs> so it all happened in a very short amount of time, but uh, we were performing a very different program. We were, we were playing Mendelssohn, Ravel and Mahler. So, um, yeah. Fabulous in both settings, in a, in a huge symphony orchestra and also mm. in, in Brandenburg. And, Beautiful venue. And tell us about your involvement then in the Australian Youth Orchestra. It, was this another one of the opportunities that arose out of high school or was it something out of a musical connection that you had? Uh, so the Australian Youth Orchestra, um, it's a really um, fabulous program. Um, so... I had been involved with them for probably a couple of years before, um, yeah, before 2018. I think the first year I did it was in 2016. And they have, um, you, you audition and it's, it's a national youth orchestra. So people audition from all over the country, um, to participate in programs like they have the national music camp, um, every year and they have, um, February and July seasons, um, which is just um, what they call the Australian Youth Orchestra. So that's what I had in Melbourne in the in the recital centre that year. And then they also have um, like young symphonist programs for um, I think they're for secondary school students as well. I, I had just auditioned and um, yeah, just to take part in it. It's it's a really fabulous. Um, and always really exciting. It's really exciting to see everyone because, you know, we're, everyone comes from all over the country. So you don't, not every day you get to come together for a couple of weeks and make music together. And what about then your involvement in the Sydney Youth Orchestra? Was this um, post AYO or, or was this um, sort of around the same time? Um, it was about the same time, if probably actually a little bit before that. So uh, I've been involved with FYO. Uh, or Sydney Youth Orchestra for, for about seven years. And uh, I've gained so much orchestral training from them. A, a lot of um, my orchestral development and training was through SYO. 
Um, so I've had a lot of incredible opportunities from them. Um, so, um, and I'm still involved. I'm the concert master of the, the flagship orchestra this year. And um, so I've had opportunities to lead the orchestra and also engage in, in chamber music and also in masterclasses and touring opportunities regionally and also internationally to, to Europe. Yes, I was so I was going to bring kind of that a up. Dream for a young musician. Yeah, I mean your 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 career really is on the up and up, as it were, because these opportunities, um, it's experience building for the likelihood of turning all of this training into a, a fully fledged professional career. Obviously, this is an important part of that. And you were the inaugural recipient of the uh, SYO's Austria scholarship. How did how did that come about? And also, congratulations! I mean, that's a fantastic honor. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> So the Austria Scholarship was created in partnership between the Sydney Youth Orchestras and the Austrian National Tourist Office. And it was an opportunity for an SYO musician to travel to Austria at the beginning of 2020 to immerse themselves in the music scene in Vienna and Salzburg. So um, there was an audition process and then an interview involved in that. And I ended up being the lucky SYO musician to, to win the scholarship. So it, it it was a huge honor for me. Uh, it was incredible. It was, uh, yeah, <laughs> we could be here for days talking about it. There, there was just so much, um, so many wonderful experiences mm. that I had over there. Now, at the um, risk of making a lot of other people very jealous, <laughs> perhaps you could tell <laughs> us a little bit about your trip. Um, not not just the musical things, but the whole experience and maybe some of the, the people that you met while over there and some of the concert halls, obviously, that you got to visit in, in both Salzburg and Vienna. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I was so lucky to do it in hindsight. Um I arrived back in Australia only a matter of days before the first lockdown began. So I was super lucky to have experienced Austria before lockdown. But I had um, two weeks in Vienna and a week in Salzburg. And every day was packed with incredible experiences. Um, for example, I, I would have like a masterclass uh, with one of the principals in the Vienna Philharmonic in the morning. And then in the evening, I would go to the music variant to watch Mushi conduct. Um, the Chicago Symphony. Um, so, truly mind-blowing stuff. Um, every single day. It was, it was such an inspiring time for me to experience this in um, a city which is so rich in musical history. It, it was just magical. Um, I had a few masterclasses with musicians from uh, um, the Vienna Philharmonic and the University of Music and Performing Arts in Vienna. And also with Anne Harvey Nagel, she's an Australian musician. Um, she's a violinist from Melbourne originally, and she's the concertmaster of the Folksopper Orchestra. Um, and I even performed in, in the Folksopper Orchestra in a production of Countess Maritza, which was wonderful. It was so much fun. I hardly speak German, but I think that made it even more fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, it was it was just really exciting to meet um, a lot of uh, Australian musicians, and even in the Folksopper Orchestra, I think there were several, maybe three three Australian musicians. So that was quite incredible. Um, mm. I also had an opportunity to meet um, some of these more some more Australian musicians living in um, Vienna at a reception at the um, residence of the Australian ambassador. Um, where I where I also had an opportunity to perform, 
So it was really gr- great to connect with them and to hear their stories as well. I, I would never have thought that there were so many Australian musicians in Vienna. That mm. um, it was really, really, really wonderful. Um, mm. And then I also had a week in Salzburg, which lined up perfectly with Mozart Week. So there were concerts all the time. Um, I, I was able to attend uh, rehearsals of the Mozart Heim Orchestra and also the Vienna Philharmonic uh, when they were in Salzburg. And yeah, it was it was surreal to be there at, at that moment. I mean, it sounds incredible um, being in Salzburg for Mozart Week. I mean, people pay lots of money to do this sort of thing normally, and you you won this fantastic scholarship. And and uh, I mean, that's that's a, sort of for a, I think for many people would be a totally life changing experience being able to meet uh, some of these people, um, Australians as well, uh, involved in the music scene over there, and the, and see how when there's a big occasion like Mozart Week, what sort of things they put on it. And, and they do in terms of their music as well as other festivities. Yeah, it, it was incredible. So another one of those um, amazing events you did get to enjoy was the Vienna Philharmonic Ball. Now, I can't say I've ever had the privilege of being invited to that, that unfortunately, so I have to be quite envious, I suppose. But what was that, uh, what was that event like? It was like being in a dream. Um, <laughs> it was really beautiful and elegant. Um, and so wonderful um, to experience how music is really celebrated and cherished. Um, it was like, I think it's pretty safe to say that it was like nothing I've ever seen here in Australia. Um, there was a procession of debutantes and then um, lots of dancing, of course. I even had a dance class at the Elmire Dance School beforehand on the day to, to learn how to waltz. And As you do, just you know, quietly learn how to waltz and, and then go to a debutante That's ball. Right. <laughs> <laughs> At the Elmira Dam School, of course, yes. of all places. But, I mean, unfortunately, I'm not very coordinated, so I was not very good at it. But I had a, I had a really fun time nonetheless. Um, but the Vienna Philharmonic Ball, I mean, it's, it's of course, very prestigious and uh, um, very unique. Uh, but, uh, I mean... There's a ball season. Like there are so many balls in um, Austria. It's it's just part of their culture. So that was a really interesting thing for me to experience. I only attended the balls of the Vienna Philharmonic, but um, yeah, it was just incredible. And I think um, what made it such a unique experience was that it doesn't start until really late. At night, I think it was about nine or ten p.m. when you arrive, and oh, I'm just trying to think what it was. I think the ten p.m. The, there's the procession of the debutants, and um, it finishes around four a.m. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it doesn't feel like you're um, you're up at the middle of the night at all. Um, it's like time kind of stands still, and um, of course, there's orchestral music in the in the Golden Hall, in the, the big hall of the Music Verein. And then there's chamber music in the Bramsal, which is the chamber music hall next door. And um, there was even folk music downstairs. And then go a little bit further down to the basement. I think I stumbled into like a nightclub <laughs> disco <laughs> kind of thing going on. So, um, yeah, oh, there were jazz bands as well. There was a bit of everything. So it, it was all there. And I think a particularly memorable part of the night was, so it happens twice actually. At midnight, there's 
um, midnight and 2 a.m. that um, the, all of the attendees um, come into the um, centre of the, the Golden Hall to do the quadrille. And I think it, it's from they, the orchestra playing uh, one of the quadrilles from um, Strauss's Fledermouth. And it gets faster and faster each time they do it. And you can imagine by 2 a.m., <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> um, it's hilarious. It's so funny to watch. Everyone has such a wonderful time. Yes. And um, Herr Elmire is, Elmire is just standing at the front with a microphone, telling, you know, giving the directions. And, <laughs> like, I, I can't dance to save my life. I yes. was terrible. So I just stood, I was standing actually next to him, watching it. And it, was, it was just incredible. All the lights, all the flowers, all the yes. gowns, the tails. It was just, it, it was like, yeah. Something out of a dream, something out of Disney. Yeah, it almost <laughs> sounds like a Baz Luhrmann film in a way. It's just you know, extremely exuberant and excessive and, and joyous at the same time. Now, in terms of talking about grand occasions, uh, you have had the privilege to actually perform quite a lot of um, very grand music uh, because you were involved in Handel's Anthems and Fireworks, a program back in 2019. In fact, we both were involved. I was singing in the bass section of the choir and you were playing in the violins. Now, this music is some of the best-known sort of occasion music um, in the world. Uh, perhaps you could tell us about, um, ab about this music and your involvement in this series. Was it the first time you'd performed these works in, in such a large orchestra? Um, yeah, good question. I, I, I love this series. Um, music for royalty, how, how can you go wrong? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was playing the second in the second violin section for this program, and we, I remember we performed this series in Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane, and we even did the Hallelujah chorus in Brisbane with a choir of school students in Brisbane. Yes, that's correct. Um, so over, over a hundred of them. Incredible. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, but I had actually performed Zadok Street um, before this program when I was at school. And also the Hallelujah Chorus um, from Handel's Messiah um, at school um, and also in the annual performance of the Messiah at Sydney Town Hall, which is conducted by Brandenburg countertenor Tim Chung, um, who also happened to be the director of music at Allo's for most of the time that I was there. So again, the small world. Small world. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so it wasn't as big as perhaps the Brandenburg performance <laughs> Of it, but yeah, it's such fabulous music, really mm. exciting. Out of the coronation anthems, um, my heart is indicting. Uh, as you were talking about all of the, the the ball, essentially in Vienna, and all of that music, um, this is the one I actually thought of um, because of having performed it several times um, myself. It, uh, it it just I don't know. There's something about it that's joyous and and reminiscent of the sorts of things you were talking about. Um, would you agree? Absolutely. I think this is my favourite coronation anthem, actually. It's fab fabulous. Well, then, without any further ado, let's have a listen to My Heart is Indicting, Coronation Anthem Number 4 by George Friedrich Handel, featuring Paul Dyer, the Brandenburg Choir, the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra, and recorded live by ABC Classic in July 2019 at the City Recital Hall. <laughs> Thank you. 
Now I'll turn that down just a bit, James, and you'll have to forgive my vanity for choosing this piece because I was actually one of the two basses um, as soloists opening the singing there alongside Hayden Barrington. Um, and I, I, I don't know if I said thank you at the time, but I should say thank you to you because if it weren't for you and the other violins, I wouldn't have known what to sing because all of you actually <laughs> introduced the melody, um, you know, exactly as, as I needed to sing it uh, right at the start of the piece. Oh, bravo. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember who you were desking with in uh, this particular series? Uh, yes, I, I was guesting with uh, Shane Lestido, uh, which was so much fun. Uh, Shane is a fabulous violinist, and we had actually been desk partners for a few Brandenburg projects that year. So I, I really enjoyed that. It was a lot of fun. And Shane, obviously, unfortunately, hasn't had a chance uh, with being down in Melbourne to come up and play with the orchestra this year. But although lockdown has actually closed and ended a lot of touring and, and, and concerts, it actually has also created some other opportunities. And, and one of those was, uh, for you, thankfully, an opportunity to perform in the Bach series. And you performed some, some solo violin, obviously some solo Bach uh, for that particular uh, performance. Now, what was that experience like? Um, I know that you were recording at TDC's studio in Alexandria. Um, perhaps you could tell us about that space and what you played and, and maybe why. Uh, for sure. So I actually had never done anything like this before, a, a solo recording with cameras as well. So it was new to me. Um, and there was, there was, so there was a lot going on as well, as I'm sure you could imagine with lights and cameras. Um, and I, I just remember thinking to myself that it's all about the music and that was my job. So I'll just let the camera crew do their job and I'll treat it like any other performance. Um, I performed the preludio from Bach's third partita in A major. Um, I really love this prelude. It's, it's really effervescent and, and joyful. Um, but yeah, I think joyful is the perfect word to capture this mm. movement. I've probably said joyful over and over again. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's perfect for it. it. It is just, it's joy. Mm. So, um, and, and Bach also used this exact prelude in two more cantatas, one being a, a wedding cantata. Yes. And also as a symphonia in the cantata, Via Duncan Dear God, Via Duncan Dear, which translates to We Thank You God. Yes. So I, I love this character and um, this work is really special to me because it was the first piece of solo Bach that I had heard and it was Richard Tognetti's recording on an ABC CD, which I would listen to when I was younger. Mm. Um, and it was also one of the first um, works from the solo sonatas and partitas which I had played. So. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite special to me. Yes. And it's also a work that I have come to uh, enjoy more and more because uh, for every single episode of this podcast, we hear exactly the same music, but in the uh, version from Vidankin Diagot, the cantata that you just mentioned, for both the opening and the closing of the program, which is, you know, um, I mean... The <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, James, for coming and speaking with me today. It's always such a pleasure to hear the fantastic stories of passionate and talented young musicians like yourself. And I have to say, I am quite uh, jealous about that Austrian trip, uh, mind you. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we'll be able to travel again soon. Yes, yeah. Fingers crossed. Is there anyone you'd like to shout out to? Uh, well, hello to uh, my friends and family who are listening in. <laughs> Thanks again, James. Thank you so much for having me here. It's been really, really a delight to, to speak with you today. Thank you.
The Brandenburg is proud of our long-standing relationship with partner Macquarie Group. Our partnership with Macquarie Group is built on a shared vision of infinite possibilities and a commitment to the very highest standards of excellence. The Brandenburg is also proud to be supported by APA Group, our presenting partner for the Bach series. Through our partnership with APA Group, we have the opportunity to connect Baroque music to audiences and communities throughout Australia.